0: Hello, and welcome to the HR Means Business podcast, which is part of the HR Happy Hour Network. I'm your host, Mervyn Dinner, um, and today we are going to be talking about culture uh one of my favorite events that i go to every year is called influence greatness uh, which takes place up in the the mountains above salt lake city in utah and hosted by O C um where they publish their globe their, their 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 annual global culture report uh, this year was no exception uh, and i'm delighted today to be able to welcome two people from Tanner in europe uh, robert ordiva uh, who is the managing director and Stuart Cheeseman, who is head of partnerships, uh, to talk about the findings from this year's Global Culture Report from a more Europeanist perspective. So, firstly, uh, Robert, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yes. Hi, Mervin. Uh, firstly, thanks for having us uh, on the podcast. Um, as you said, I'm the managing director of Ochotona uh, in Europe. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know, Ochotona, we're a large kind of global organisation based out of the US, and I have the privilege of uh, of leading the team over here in europe
2: and stuart brilliant hi everybody. well thank you for 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 having us on on today's podcast so um i'm stuart cheeseman i have a, a wealth of hr consultancy and uh and hr uh, hr experience through technologies um i have a great role where i really get uh to to, to build those partnerships as you've mentioned but also look at um strategic work and how we drive one our business forward in Europe, but how we're really sort of integrating that with where our clients and our partners want to be in regards to their business strategies. So that that great link of what we're seeing out in the in the current volatile markets and workplaces, and how we've uh, hopefully got the solutions to to help clients to to change that uh, that aspect.
0: That's great. Um, if uh, if I start with Robert, I suppose what 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 for you were the key findings or themes uh, in the report that was published last last month
1: um you know it's interesting Mervyn and I for full disclosure right this is uh, around 200 pages of of data heavy research and I have in front of me the camera can't see it just scribbled notes everywhere as I've started to think ahead of this conversation kind of what are the the pertinent points and I, I think there's a there's a number of things that that uh, are in the report which are aha moments right they're not necessarily things that are brand new topics but our ability to kind of dig a bit deeper one of the examples is around practical empathy and you know the world is a volatile place right and I think the the sense that uh leaders need to have a level of empathy is not new but actually we start to really understand in the research um the 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 difference it makes when that's truly practical when there's frameworks around it when we know the boundaries, right? Because leaders have had to be empathetic for a number of years. And frankly, it's burning them out. So how you know how do we make that long term and sustainable? So I think that's one area. Um, I think the other area that was particularly kind of hit home for me, and it's something that has been on my mind a lot since the the pandemic is the the 80%, right? And this is the 80% of workers that are untethered, deskless, however you want to phrase them. the the workers who during the pandemic we were out on our doorsteps cheering and noticing and recognizing and perhaps for the first time they felt seen and heard and the research kind of suggests that that group is starting to feel like they're fading back into the to the background a bit and I think that's that's really key it's a responsibility um for all of us and I think uh, maybe you and I have talked about this before Mervyn because it's something that's that, that, that I know has troubled a number of us in the HR world is as the HR world is focused on hybrid versus remote versus, you know, we're kind of forgetting that most people don't have that choice, right? Mm. There's a lot of site-dependent workers, and, and frankly, they're the ones that are keeping the rest of us, uh, the rest of us going. It's it's a large majority. So look, tons of good stuff in the report. But I think those two areas, that practical empathy and you know, and how we uh connect uh, and hear um the 80 percent. i think those are the two bits that for me were the most pertinent this year
0: i i, w- I would agree with you i think uh I, sh- I should say at this point and i will say at other points there will be a link uh, in the show notes where you can download the report um it's noticeable to me uh, having been to two or three i suppose international conferences over the last few weeks that the the 80%, or I suppose they're they referred to as 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 the frontline workers. It, yeah, sometimes they're the decimal workforce, the hourly workforce, uh, but but uh, I've noticed them being referred to as the frontline workforce. Um that, a, a topic of conversation at, at all of these events has been the frontline worker experience and how we boost that and improve that. So it's a, it's clearly a key theme. Uh, Stuart, what what were your key takeaways?
2: Yeah, slightly, slightly separately. All great takeaways, of course, Mervin. But the, the one thing I I always think about is is what's happening in business, what's happening in industry, and when we think about what's happening in Europe, in particular, and actually it is truly global, of course. But what's happening in Europe, what we're we're seeing is um, volatility, as as mentioned, that uncertainty. We've still got over the last couple of years that that fight for talent, that war for talent, how we appreciate that talent. So. I like the idea that our our employees are thinking ever so slightly different about their sort of contract with their employer at the moment. It's a different type of mould um, to what it was a couple of years ago. And the reason I say that is because creating that sense of belonging is incredibly important. And if you think about the volatility, it may be business, business resilience. It may be that we're seeing... Uh, volatility in regards to sort of MA activity being incredibly high a lot of organizations certainly in europe at the moment are restructuring And um, so thinking about that and how you go through that change management process of doing that again with culture at its heartbed and then the final thing there is the upskill movement we're having or or, or the, the uh the skilling movement that we're having the reason i think that's incredibly important because as we sort of factor in some of these macroeconomics and sort of geopolitical solution, uh, situations at the moment we're seeing a lot of organisations either having to change their products or re-diversify or as they grow for through through MA activity we're needing greater skill sets. And of course, that also comes with uh, legislative requirements as well as as local legisl- legislation dictates um, certain things around products or, 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 or alike. So really, we're in this volatile position and we're asking and our employees are changing in front of our faces more than they ever have done. So really understanding how we create that culture underneath all of this to drive sort of the nimble resilience that we need in order to 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 make sure business continues to thrive and factoring in some of these external factors for me to to upskill to make sure that the culture drives the business forward was was one thing that jumped out of me in, in the report.
0: That's that's a great point actually, because there's been, I suppose over the last two, three years in particular, there's been quite a focus on skills. But one of the things I loved about it was uh, um the use of the word skill building. Because this yes. is what I think uh, this is what employees, this is how they see it. and you know, we talk about skill development and, and things like that and having access to learning and, and but this kind of building and seeing it as as I suppose almost supporting our people in building the skills that they need to because they know their jobs are, are changing and evolving and and, and and all all the all the time. so it's 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 as opposed to learning, which is something that's almost like we're imposing on them. Skill building, I love it because it, it it brings in the notion of it's something they are doing themselves to help improve themselves and and to to so they can make a better contribution. Um, yeah. If I stay with you, Stuart, what are you? Because you are obviously speaking to clients and, and organizations all the time. I'm not saying Robert isn't, but but uh, that's your day to day job. Um, what are clients saying to you at the moment? How are they seeing? Um, uh, kind of particularly of obviously HR leads. How are they see, seeing the market at the moment?
2: Yeah, it, I I thought um I thought Logan Hard how to potentially answer that in that, from our from our previous discussions. I I think what I'm what I'm generally seeing is the last couple of years have been incredibly difficult and out the landscape coming out of that. We we don't always want to go back to what happened a couple a couple of years ago, but it, it's having having the that air of how paternalistic are we with our employees as well at the moment. So yeah, you wouldn't believe it, mervin, but but a lot of dogs have come into my conversations, even with CHRO leaders, where someone will have a COVID dog and that means that we can't get back into the office as much as we want because we don't have care for our dogs. Now, not laboring on that point, but it, it really does um, lean us towards how we need to make it worth it for our employees to get back in that office uh, or, or, or wherever their location is, how, how we create that culture um, and like I say, drive that drive that business forward. The other thing I'm really learning, and I'm seeing as well, is that we, we know that HR challenges are on the present. I feel sorry for HR leaders because in the last couple of years, their their job responsibilities have probably and their tasks have gone up two, threefold. Um, so we're relying on our on our HR leaders um, more so than we have done before. I think that's out of actually, like I say, that that view of the employee wanting to be more or, or wanting more paternalism from their employer. But why I mention all this is because I think sometimes what I'm seeing is actually identifying where the challenges are. We know those challenges are there, but how does it actually uh, relate back to, to a territory, a business unit, a function within the business, and then understanding how, how you uh, um, deploy strategies to, to to overcome that. Of course, a lot of this has to be uh, holistic cultures, but understanding certainly with businesses in Europe where there are so many countries um, within that territory, how, how different nuanced countries are, um, approaching their cultures perhaps um, slightly differently, uh, country by country, but under one holistic banner. So I think identifying using data to drive data-driven strategies towards um, overcoming some of those challenges is incredibly important as well.
0: And hmm. um, Robert, what um, I, I suppose the the the, um, the issues that organisations are trying to deal with uh, when when they're using uh, an um, the tech from an organisation like yourself, uh, uh, um, uh, to do I guess with mainly retention, is it, or are you finding it's 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 more to do with kind of immediate culture now?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think it it um, it differs, right? We ha- we have uh, a range of uh, clients who are at different stages in their journey. Um, it wouldn't be unusual for a for a, a client to approach us to want our support because they have some immediate challenges. It could be retention. It could be well-being. It could be connecting to their front line, whatever that immediate need is. And then as that partnership kind of evolves, it, it almost always becomes much more about business advantage. So they're not doing it to solve a problem. Mm. Uh, they might, that might be the initial indicator for them to go, I need something. But it always evolves into how do we use that to to better build our business? So, an example I would give, if you think about um, uh, skill building, we would we would help organisations recognise employees who are building their skills, and in doing so, help the business improve their resilience to change. And the business, in turn, is helping its uh, retention, its well being, its connection, its ability to communicate purpose. There's always lots of, you know, kind of element to it but i would say and 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 sure maybe maybe you will have a a view on this but i would say often it would start with something needs improving um yeah employee survey scores whatever it might be and then it kind of quickly moves on to them being able to see the benefits of the business of doing so i think we um we know because we've been in the business for forever um we know there's real business roi But sometimes that trigger for people to start having the conversation to enable them to see the ROI is is something's not right. Something's been a challenge. Um, It could be, uh, you know, it could be about global connection. We saw a lot of that uh, kind of during the pandemic. People moved, worked remotely. Suddenly people are looking for a better way to connect and show each other what great work looks like. Um, But post-pandemic, that continues to be important because they've started to see the business results, not just the the sticky plaster if you like that they originally looked for
2: yeah i think that's a, a, a very good point in regards to let's think about this as fulfillment and belonging if you create the right fulfillment and belonging with an organization the psychological safety where employees can be outspoken to improve results and to, to shape and change business and are comfortable in doing so, then you have a thriving business. And then that almost mitigates some of your other challenges, doesn't it, in regards to why would I want to leave this business where I know I belong, I know I've got a, a vehicle to go forward and, and succeed. So so for me, it's it's that. I think the, the other interesting point that we are seeing sort of the culture and perhaps recognition come a little bit more into, into play is even from a product line, okay, so where there's – um, service-related industry, an airline may be a good example, where we're seeing um, employees be the face of the organisation at times of difficulty, whether there's a flight cancelled or, or whatever, or there's suddenly upheaval, um, sometimes a lot out, outside of the business's control. We're actually seeing that used to... to to prompt the reaction of how, in a service orientated business, the employees are are gearing themselves and gearing their business for success as well. So, again, it's a couple of measures there, certainly around the retention piece, Mervyn, and making sure that air of fulfilment, but also to to, to outwardly um, improve the business as well from from the sort of ground upwards.
0: Yeah, there was um, talking the frontline uh, workforce. There was a stat, wasn't there? Something around fifty percent of it uh, of them uh, feel expendable. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is pretty sad, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about the the high regard in which they were considered when when we were struggling, um, some some disconnect has happened there, and I think you know I think some of that, as we talked about, is being so focused on remote working and returning and what the new normal. I mean, we don't hear that phrase anymore. I think we've all accepted that there isn't. Uh, any such thing as a, as, a, as a normal um, but i think I think whilst we all focused on that we we lost touch I think of some of that some of that connection with our frontline. and we see now we have some um, there's some incredible stories of people doing uh, good stuff and you'll have seen some of this i'm sure at uh, uh, influence greatness, but the work that Starbucks are doing to connect with those people who are who are frontline uh, in their stores, the work that um, IAG, an insurance company about out of australia did to connect to their people during some of the kind of natural disasters that they that they were having to tackle. Um, there's some really good examples out there. Um, I think that 50% is a really shocking number um, yeah. and there's clearly a lot more work to do and it shouldn't take a, a natural disaster or a, a crisis to, to have us understand the importance of, you know, and I think this is a theme through all of the report actually, and it's not new, but the importance of hearing people. Of seeing people, of them feeling like they are um, connected and seen, you know, e- even skill building, you know, giving people some autonomy over how they build skills is saying, "I see you, I hear you, I invest in you." It's important to our resilience as a business, but it's important to build your resilience as a as an employee. So I think there's there's kind of that theme that that runs through it, and it's, um, you know, you see stats like fifty percent, and you just you just realize how much work there really still is to do.
0: Oh, definitely definitely um there's also because uh with flexibility um again the conversation very much uh centers around i suppose white collar black off uh, back office workers um but there were also uh findings in the report about kind of more equitable flex flexibility um stewart is, is that something that uh you're picking up in your discussions
2: yeah, absolutely. I think we need to we need to make sure we're first of all we're we're nimble in 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 our in our flexibility. It sounds sounds silly. It's almost a uh, um, same same description, but we need to make sure we're 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 proactive. We're 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 considering this. I think um, it goes back to that point of how you do it, but you're not discriminating or you're making it an, an equal playing field. But I think at the same point, we have to be nimble with that in order to make sure that we're doing things on an equal playing field, but for the businesses, um, benefit as well. So yeah, look, I, I think that's something we're, we're seeing quite a bit. Um, there are still unarmed. There are still organizations that are, are really different in regards to their, their, their flexibility and how they're looking to perhaps draw a line under it and move forward. But I think it's a, an omnipresent challenge. You'll always be here. And, but I think the message is you have to evolve. You have to consider. Um, how you do things and, and make sure that like you say it's on that equal playing field where it's it's uh it's not one dis uh disadvantageous to the organization but actually you're getting the most out of your employees and you're creating a culture which allows again allows the organization to thrive yeah i, I think i think there's a
1: um, there was some other interesting conversation I was I was having internally around how we approach equitable flexibility. And I think what, what's interesting sometimes is to look just a bit deeper than what we've naturally seen as flexibility, which is where I work or when I work, but also how I work. Um, and we, I mean, we have a large number of workers. Uh, Mervyn, I think you visited our, our uh, HQ. We have a large number of workers who are on the factory floor, right? Manufacturing, yeah. <laughs> distribution. Um And whilst they have a shift time that maybe is harder to move than it might be for, say, Stuart or or my role, um, the autonomy that we're able to give them in terms of experimenting, control over how the work is done, in terms of what's prioritised and how it's prioritised, giving them the chance to be creative within that sometimes is is a missed element. You know, I think it's very easy to say, well, you you know, you can't change the shift of a of a Starbucks. Barista, we have an open time and a shift time, but actually, um, businesses that are able to give some level of autonomy or flexibility in terms of how the work is done and how the team is is operating, I think I, I think can gain uh, some advantage there. Um, it helps people feel trusted and valued um, in the same way that that it you know that that might be the case for someone who can go and pick up their kids from school. You know, you may not be able to afford them every flexibility, but it's easy for us to say it doesn't apply to this role or it can't apply to this role. Well, then what can, how can we be more creative, more thoughtful, more deliberate in terms of that kind of equitable flexibility across the workforce?
0: You think some of this plays into the um, uh, findings around empathetic leadership or practical empathy, um, particularly, um, I know in, in um, part of the report, uh, it, it it mentions kind of empathy fatigue amongst leaders Um so, what I mean is, is, is this part of the same thing, or do you think that the, the, there's advice you can give for leaders who are listening who, who maybe would like to know, understand a bit more about this more practical, empathetic approach?
2: Yeah, I, I think to, to answer that one, maybe I think yeah. again, much like HR leaders, our leaders are, are under greater pressure. They're asked to do so much more than they, than they ever have done before. Again, with volatility within business that's putting more pressure pressure on leaders and it's it, it sort of uh bring that together with what we were saying of a changing employee as well which i think we've certainly seen over the last couple of years and and, and there are obviously what we've gone through there's there's um, well-being uh criteria here to consider as well so I think there's a balance is, is what I'm trying to say is is how and understand your workforce you know what are their talent magnets I love that phrase or talent magnet, talent magnets how 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 do we know how to to get the best out of them but I think a lot of it is through empathy and a lot of it is through communication as well so how are we communicating and it might be different levels of communication to certain different um, business units or different personnel within effect, but I think we need to we need to encompass and and realise that we have different employees. Their view, like I said earlier on, their view of of their contract with us as employers now is incredibly di- different. So again, I think consideration out of all that is is absolutely focused should be the focus going forward. Uh, oh.
1: I think sorry I was just going to say I think the 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 important kind of moment for me when I was kind of reading through this this part of the research is the word practical so I think we've long understood that leaders um, need to be empathetic need to understand but it's how you turn that into some kind of action Um, now of course in our world um, we have always kind of uh, had that as part of our recognition strategy right you know what what great work uh, are you calling out might be different for one than another because if the leader truly understands the background what they're going through what their challenges are what you know how they're how they're building skills whatever it might be it allows you to do something practical with it I think um, sometimes and maybe you know my background is is HR and uh, you know I've been doing it for a long time and you kind of my entry into HR was you know it's tea and sympathy and we listen lots you mm-hmm. know and I think I think we've all recognized those days have shifted and they have for line managers too, you know, we don't just expect uh, that line managers can absorb uh, and, and hold uh, all of that accountability. And so, you know, to Stuart's point, we look out for leaders and we have to establish boundaries, but also we have to empower them to be able to do something about it. You know, that, that they have the autonomy to be able to say, I can help with this and to have the boundaries to know when is the right time for me to, uh, bring someone else in or to pass it. We're, we're not training leaders to be therapists right we're we're uh, it's practical empathy it's, again it comes back to listening listening and seeing yeah. and being how to make a difference to people
0: i should at this point um uh, let people know listening uh, if you go way back to episode one of hr means business uh you will you'll find me talking to robert about his early uh career in hr and belonging so um there you go um, change management was also mentioned, uh, effective change management, because again, the last three to four years have seen many, many shifts. Um, what are you, um, I suppose, finding in terms of, um, how that is shifting, particularly, I suppose, from a, uh, a, a kind of more of a UK European, uh, lens.
2: Yeah, I think we, are as alluded to earlier, we're seeing that volatility. I keep going back to that, but we're seeing significant change. You know, MLA activity increasing, a lot of reorganisation, restructuring, as well as, like we say, potentially diversification in products. Meaning we 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 built uh, skill building, etc. So all of this becomes with significant change within within business. Um, one thing I recently spoke I spoke to um on our, our virtual uh influence greatness session with Cap Gemini, um, Ashok at Cap Gemini spoke a lot around how he's changing significant practices from an HR perspective within the business, but the consideration of culture and what that means. Of course, having um defined and excellent change managers within the business to to, to bring efficiency and, and cost saving measures is is absolutely relevant. But let's not let's not let's not forget about everyone else that's on board the journey of that change management process how are we making sure that everyone is part of that culture everyone is belonging to make sure they're driving to the same outcomes as well so a lot of that is communication a lot of that a lot of that is recognizing the teams that are changing with the business as we go through that process making sure we're recognizing that um, and just really communicating with them of the work that they're doing as well. So I think it's a combination of efficiency there and making sure that we're creating a culture and a, an environment for those projects to be successful as well. Martin.
0: OK. As I said at the beginning, so, it's a fascinating report. Um, we've been picking, uh, I suppose, a few uh, of the key points from it. Um, can I ask you, I suppose, because we're coming towards the end of the uh, chat um if you could uh individually i'll start with robert um the, the, the i suppose the two or three things that, that, that if if somebody said said to you i haven't got time to read this whole thing what are the three things i need to know what would you say they are and oh, wow. I, I be, before you answer you will have time to read it because it's all very good stuff but uh, yeah
1: yeah a fine time to read it it's available on octanner.com i know it's going to be in the show notes it is a You know, it's one of those pieces and we release it every year and and every year I read it once, read it twice and I continually kind of have to nip back to it. There's some helpful reminders in there. Top two or three things. I think there's a definitely a thread through here. I've said it before around listening and really listening, not, you know, not just sending a survey out, but listening. Uh, when you when you talk about change, there was a great stat. It's and I've written it somewhere here. Something like the, you know, if you if you listen uh, to employees and you involve them in conversations, even if the outcome is not what they're looking for, the chance of that change being perceived as positive is like one thousand two hundred and something percent improved. So I think I think there's a real theme through here about about uh, listening more. I think the other thing that I'd encourage is is towards the back of the report. There's some uh, detailed kind of analysis regionally around the globe. Um, and I'm always, you know, I'm always fascinated to to look at that, but I'm always um, unsurprised, perhaps, at how uh, similar people are and people needs are, right? So Denmark might have a slightly higher score than Belgium in one particular column and Germany more than Switzerland in another column. But actually, these themes are fairly, uh, fairly global. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's always um it shouldn't, it shouldn't shock any of us, but I think it's always good to see it borne out in the research. It's very easy for us to say it. Um, but what, what's great about the work that our institute uh, does is they give us the data. They give us the data that helps us ensure that this isn't just a nice thing to do, but we continually kind of refine um, our product, our advice, and our support for the people we work with. Mm.
2: Yeah, I um, think just to, de- to de- develop that, Mervyn, let's not forget the report um, is... Uh, is a data set from a large, a large hundreds of thousands of, of employees and employers around the world. And, and going back to Robert's point there, especially in Europe, when we when we consider how many countries there are in Europe, um, that nuance is that we've spoke a little bit about earlier of understanding how that may may differ. And a lot of our clients, of course are, are global where we're also comparing territories by territories. So, so for me, a great point by Robert to steer towards the analytics at the back of the report you know, like any report, very, very um exciting and, and informative executive summary. But for me, I the, the one thing I wanted to say is I've spoken to a lot of leaders that used a report almost to, to find that business case, use some of the statistics out of that report to go back and say, this is why we need to improve our culture, this is what we need to do. You know, if if a if an organization can have their retention statistics or percentages or absenteeism levels, there are there's statistics in there that gives examples to go back into the business and say, this is my ambition to change the culture because it means that we can save x, y, and Z, or we can increase our productivity by x, y, and Z as well. So there's a couple of things there. It's just using the data and then using the data to think about how it can impact impact the business or the reader as well.
0: that's That's great advice actually. and i I mean for me, uh, that when I first before we had our first session, Um, in the US on it I I was just flicking through if you like the the key findings you know give me the summary first and then we'll dig in the detail and just the words you know nimble resilience equitable flexibility empathetic leadership awareness um, effective it's a very positive but it's also understanding it's practical it's understanding it's all about listening to people which is um, something that the research you know, across the board tends to find organizations don't necessarily do well enough. So it's uh, no, I think it's a great report. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. Uh, OCTanner.com is is where you can um, also find it. Uh, and I would like to thank Robert and Stuart. Thank
2: you. For thank, you thank you.
0: It's Thanks a pleasure. No, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's a great chat, and hopefully, uh, listeners will 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 download, will read, and we will have much more empathetic, equitable organisations.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Marvin.
0: No, you're welcome.